Thank you all for coming. This is the uh, uh, Faith and Family series, uh, Spiritually Investing in Your Adult Child. Um, this is, the, I think, the last in the series that uh, Cameron uh, Cole put together uh, uh, on the, the Faith and Family series. Um, and they've gone from the you know, uh, parents of young children and sort of progressed through now. Uh, again, I think this is the last class, but... Uh, um, uh, working with or, or spiritually investing in your adult child. I think the central question that we hope to address is how does the gospel and an understanding of the cross inform our relationship with our adult children? And I think if we can help with that in some way today, uh, we have been uh, somewhat successful. I think that um, many of y'all, I think, may be familiar with um, Cameron's uh, ministry, Rooted Ministry, if you're not uh, familiar with it, R-O-O-T-E-D. Um, they've got some great uh, material. One of the cornerstones um, in that youth ministry uh, effort, one of the cornerstones is, um, is really equipping parents in dealing with their children. Uh, they found that uh, while many of the youth programs are certainly beneficial and certainly helpful, the most important uh, is that relationship between the parent and child. So they're looking to equip parents to train and, and equip their own children as they uh, grow and mature in the faith. So um, we hope through this class today we can in some way um, um, and through a panel discussion, which we'll get to quickly, um, hope to further that effort. Um, I'd like to read... Um, one scripture here. It's from Ephesians. Just a second. I'm going to lose my. I'm going to pray in just a moment. Um, this is from Ephesians 2 um, 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Reed and I heard a uh, message recently that I thought was important and maybe applicable here, I hope, in that uh, the picture being drawn here is that um, uh, we are all part of the temple. We are drawn together as a body. And the, the picture of a temple being built by stones, they are knit together, bonded together into something that's whole and something that's meaningful. If the stones were just laying on the ground all over the place, wouldn't mean anything, wouldn't be helpful. But that structure being pulled together, bonded together, it means something. It, it, that, that appearance is important. And that obviously the bond that holds us together as a, um, uh, as a Christian community and family is Christ himself. So um, I think, and so let me open in prayer. This is a prayer that uh, Rita found from the Gospel Coalition, somewhat edited, but um, so let me open with prayer. Heavenly Father, we begin this day celebrating your measureless generosity. You are the Father who gave his own Son that we might become your beloved daughters and sons, fully forgiven, thoroughly known, always desired, and sovereignly protected. Hallelujah, many times over. 
Today, we appeal to you for wisdom in parenting our adult kids. Bring your word, spirit, and grace to bear, loving Father. Help us love well in every season of life as parents. More than anything else, we pray that you give us, give our kids a vital and robust relationship with Jesus. More so than a Harvard education, a fulfilling career, great health, or economic success. Reveal the glory and grace of Jesus to them. For those who once walked closely with you, but are now indifferent or even antagonistic to the faith, O God of resurrection and renewal, restore the joy of their salvation and intimacy with yourself. Father, for the ways we have contradicted the gospel and withheld your grace, parenting by fear and control, pride and guilt, being overbearing or overengaged, forgive us. We grieve our sins. We humble ourselves. Our cry is for mercy, not for a second chance. For your name is Redeemer. You promise to restore years eaten away by the locust. Surely you can redeem the years eaten away by less than gospel-shaped parenting. Grant us thick skin and big hearts for the years ahead, Father. Show us what we need to own with our kids without defensiveness and excuse-making. Show us what healthy boundaries look like with them how to honor our kids and respect their individuality, free us from living in the past and listening to the accusations of the enemy, and free us for a new season of waiting on you and loving to your glory. So, very amen, we pray, in Jesus' meaningful and mighty name. Amen. amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, we love this prayer, so... Um, and, and we can get copies out. I mean... Um, uh, but founded on the Gospel Coalition. Um, and so, with that, we're going to proceed. And again, we've got a, just a couple of opening comments, sort of set some context. Um, I think just, I think, I think we know most everybody in here, but just a little bit of, quickly about our family. We have four daughters. <clears throat> Let's see. Don and Jane have four children. Victor is one. Victor, four. Uh, for those uh, listening in, uh, uh, Victor and Mary's son is um, kind enough to be here with us today to offer some perspective as the adult child of, um, that's hard to say that, um, looking at this grown man here, uh, but who also has his own child, one child, right? Yes, sir. And um, uh, then uh, we have four. Grace uh, Watley is also here with us, and Grace, y'all have four children? Four. Um, well, we had a funny joke about having four children. I'm not sure if Rita brought that with her. Anyways, <laughs> I'll share it with you after. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, but uh, our daughters, we've got uh, Abby, uh, 32, Katie and Ross. Um, pardon? She's 31. 31. Uh, sorry, Abby. Um, uh, Cecil and Hobie. And then Virginia, our youngest, had just graduated from Alabama. So we are... Um, I'm not sure everybody's off the payroll yet, but uh, pretty much. So, uh, just from an outline standpoint, we'll talk about adult children. Rita's going to address something about that shift as kids, uh, as your children transition from young, teenage, and then get into an adu- into adulthood. We'll talk a bit about the cross very quickly, and then what we really want to get to quickly is the uh, panel discussion. So, 
Rita, I'm going to let you go with this. Um, yeah. As as difficult as the teenage years are, <laughs> um, at least they're under your roof. You know, they're there. You you have to negotiate meals and finances and uh, schedules, and you're in. You're going to see them every day, and then after they leave, you really don't have another way of getting to them unless it's intentional. So. Um, that definitely is a is a hard transition. If you can't see this, it's a mother and daughter speaking, and the mother saying, "It's you who don't understand me. I've been 15. You've never been 48." Um, but there are three concepts that we've all talked, and and Jim and uh, Julie Goyer had some input into this as well. But three concepts that are helpful in thinking about how you see your adult children. Uh, the first one is. Um, from Psalm 91:2, and that is for us to relinquish them to his care. We either trust him to be who he says he is, or we don't. Um, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Do I trust God when they're out of my sight? Um, as Josh Menendez says, we pray for them, the control that we have is lower while the stakes are higher, which brings us to our knees. Um, the, the second is respecting who they are as individuals. Now they're adults. It's their life. It's now between them and God. And the first one with, rela- with relinquish, we are powerless. We've always been powerless. We just know it even more fully when uh, they leave, leave our house. And so we are to respect their adult decisions. Um, uh, Romans 14.4, 4, uh, 4, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is to, to his own master that he stands or falls. And stand he will, as God is able to make him stand. So again, trusting them to God. And then finally, what's in our power really is um, relationship as far as it depends on us for us to be at peace with them. There's times when we're doing everything we can and there's not anything coming back. But that's between them and God and that's really between us and God. Um, but we, we're shifting from that directing, sometimes unfortunately monologue when they're younger, to slowly to listening and uh, dialogue. And um, the idea of sharing insights when asked um, uh, instead of, and, and without criticism. Um, it's too bad we don't get them as adults because then we'd know how to relate with, to them as adults. But, you know, there is that shift, and that's what makes it so hard. If you can't see it, it says, um, this couple adopted an adult child. It's great. He's trained. He sleeps through the night. He walks. He talks. He can even play the piano. And he brings in an income. So, so this is, um, Drew's going to talk about how the theology that we have, the way we think about our faith, um, can help with this. And some of you um, are familiar with um, Gerhard Forday's um, uh, On Being a Theologian of the Cross. And um, in, in this, in his book, and many of the um, uh, clergy in, at Advent have um, uh, read his book, and uh, you'll hear a lot of references to it um, if you haven't already over time. But in uh, in his book, he is basically contrasting two different views 
of the cross. Um, one as um, what's, what he calls a theologian of glory, the other being a theologian of the cross. And on the theologian of glory, that sounds good when you first hear it. But, but what he's trying to show with the theologian of glory is it's, uh, it is self-oriented in your theology. That you, uh, there's a tendency to see yourself as a victim when bad things happen. Um, and when something uh, bad happens, it, you think it's bad that you see yourself as a victim. Jane, Rita said, we talked last night, you had a great example of, of this. Well, Would you? It was on the call. You call what's bad good, and you call what's good is bad. Oh, I'm okay. I'm going to see, I'll hold it. All right. Um, and I remember a long time ago, Paul Zoll had a Sunday school class that had that title. And it took me a long time to wrap my brain around what he meant. But it was that some of the hard and what you would call bad things that happen in our lives are really the entree points for God to come in and work. And when we run around and try to smooth everything for our children, which I certainly have that impulse, that sometimes we can really get in the way of what God is doing. And it was a real kind of turnaround for me that, you know, and some of the good things, everything that we want good for our children can actually put them in a really bad place. And it, it was formative for me to hear that. Um, and so when Rita and Drew showed us this last night, I thought, we're going to have to explain that because it was not intuitive to me when I first saw that. But that's, is that what you wanted? Yeah, yeah that's perfect. Great. Thank you. And so often the cross is seen as a means to an end. Um, the theologian of the cross, on the other hand, <clears throat> I think is a recognition that the cross is really the only source of knowledge of who God is and how he saves, that, um, that there's a recognition that we are sinners. Sin invades every area of our life. Ourselves, as, as well as our children, <clears throat> and that we need to recognize that. So saying what a thing is, is recognizing that that is the case, and that gets in the way often of, uh, I think we were talking to Grace earlier, and uh, it, uh, sin gets in the way often of our communication and our relationships, uh, especially with our, our children, and it seems especially uh, with our adult children. Um, but the cross is where the, uh, the cross is the end where we die to our sin and are raised to a new creation. Um, you know, that's what Jesus is about, you know, renewing our life and, and making all things new, including uh, our relationships with our children when they've been broken. Reed, I'm going to let you come back now to yeah, the, so, talking about the baptismal. Yeah, things. so one last thing is that we did make those vows uh, at their baptism that we would pray with and for our children that we'd speak openly of who God is and of salvation and set a godly example, and that hasn't changed. So that is what is in our court, so to speak. Um, Richard Baxter, who uh, was an Anglican uh, theologian back over 350 years ago, said something similar to this. We just thought this was fascinating, um, that he, even back then, he said, you know, you can teach your children by the way you live. And... Um, the example of parents is most powerful, both for good and evil. If they see you live in the fear of God, it will do much to persuade them that it is the most necessary and excellent course of life. 
they sooner believe your bad lives than your good works. Um, so next slide. Do you have the? I do. That's it. So I'm pretty sure that nobody here has taken this approach to parenting. Of <laughs> My wife is recording everything the kids do until they leave for college. Then I'll binge watch them grow up. We've, we've all put a lot, I know, into this. And it's going to be, um, at this point, it's, their lives are as they always have been in God's hands. So um, any questions? Because if you have questions, we have a panel um, that can answer these questions. And if not, we've got a few questions that we'll go through. Okay. All right. So if there are no questions immediately, <clears throat> and look, as we start going through some of these questions... <coughs> Please feel free. This is really an open discussion at this point. I, I may move around and try to uh, get the mic in front of you if you have a question just to capture it for posterity. But um, you know, we'll go from there. So first question. How can you influence an adult son or daughter in their faith? Is your God-given role completed at age 21? So panel, anybody like to offer a first approach to, to this? And Victor, I actually meant to ask you, did you have any like opening comment from the perspective as a, the adult child in the room? Would that... um, well, not necessarily an um, opening comment. Um, I think that, you know, there, there's a lot that, um, that comes to light when you start really exploring this and start thinking about the details of things that, you know, that you saw your parents do right, wrong, or indifferent as you were, you know, becoming an adult child and some of the things that they were doing were decisions that I wasn't necessarily aware of. It was sort of the behind the scenes things, making sure that they were, uh, <clears throat> you know, setting some boundaries and sort of living uh, within a way that would, you know, by no means push me away. And my sort of coming to age 21 experience was a little unique because I was, um, I went away to boarding school for high school. So, you know, at 16, I was sort of experiencing a little bit of that adult child freedom that you know we're referring to at age 21 mm -hmm. and what I what I realized with that you know obviously I grew up coming to the advent and um, and going to advent for uh, for school but then as I would come home instead of sort of being uh, you know, you're persuaded pushed uh, to to come to church with them on Sundays for example you know I haven't I've they haven't had to say so in the last eight Sundays where I've been you know at school and so when I come home I would just see that sort of encouragement and you know that that welcomeness of like hey we'd love for you to come to church with mm -hmm. us and and sort of showing me through um, through what they had done in the previous 16 years and sort of what everything that had sort of uh, I guess led up to that and you know I knew that hey I've got um, I'd since gone to to JH Ranch and gotten plugged in with some friends that were at Church of the Highlands and that's really where I kind of wanted to go when I came home and see them and which my parents were thrilled as you know to to see that they were sure. you know excited for me and they encouraged that but i would just see um through the way that my parents had had uh raised me up until that was man it would really mean a lot if i went to advent with them this sunday and mm -hmm. if i took the time out of you know my 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 spring break or whatever was the occasion that i was home friends being the first thing on my mind and if my parents had jumped in and said like no 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 you're only home for two weeks you're coming with us yeah. that would have been that would have probably been a mistake yeah and mm -hmm. And so it's little things like that that, as I, you know, mentioned, sitting on this panel with them, and and we started sort of talking about some of those, of those times. It's like that was sort of them having to do that, at 16, 17, 18, you know, during those high school years, 
um, you know, not just necessarily at 21. And it was, um, I would say, you know, if they were sitting in the room, I'd say they did a great job at that, yeah. and sort of yeah. allowing me to still feel like they were they were there, they were available for me. I would say, you know, is your God-given role complete at age 21? You know, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> it, it's changed a lot, but it yeah. is by no means um, completed. And so it gave, um, I believe if, you know, if either one of my siblings were sitting here, they would say the same thing. They, they still felt the, the availability of your parent. If you had, so, you know, a big need or something, you know, you're still going to go through uh, a lot of major life events after 21 where you want to be able to come to your parents for that and, um, you know, sort of making themselves available and looking past the, you know, just the, the bad necessarily that maybe they see sometimes when I come home for school, you know, with my ear pierced or a tattoo, you know, I didn't, <laughs> that's not what I wanted to hear from my mom and dad when I came home and that would, that would put this big distance between us so they could sort of love me through that and in turn, I'm, I'm over there still feel like they're they're available for me and yeah. it was um, like I said it was something that during those years I, would, I didn't think twice about yeah. and then looking back I'm like that was a that was a big piece to kind of keep our relationship real close and I felt like they respected me when I was you know coming into an adult you know even when I would do you know make a decision I don't feel like they respected I still you know felt that that closeness in our relationship you know when you're yeah. talking about those three R's at the beginning and yeah. so um, yeah thank you Mm -hmm. Thank you. Hey, Drew, yeah. let me pick up on something he said. Just um, It was my thought when I saw this question was that um, they can now look at your, um, at your own faith walk as a parent with fresh eyes. They have fresh eyes uh, to see you because they, the roles your changed. Adult your adult children have fresh eyes to see, see you. So as, you as we continue to work out our faith and work out our own salvation, um, then they see that that struggle. They see those questions. They see the interest. They see the the failures and the and the you know maybe some 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 uh, um, growth. But they see it with fresh eyes, and that's what he was saying. He, yeah. And, it's, and that's yeah. and that's I, I see that as a real hopeful thing. Yeah. Certainly. Um, I've got something that um, Jim said. Uh, Jim Goyer. Jim and Julie added some comments to that in line with what Victor was saying. He said, um, you know, like the father, uh, our, our love cannot be coercive or attempt to force our children along a path they aren't ready to travel. Uh, regardless of the status of our children's faith, I think it's essential to maintain a relationship with them throughout their lives and ours. Good. I think there's one more thing that may be left out that, that would help to think about, and that is that the roles of mothers and fathers are shifting from parents to mothers and fathers. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, traditionally, and a lot in our, especially our generation, but it still holds, in the home, the mother is charged with raising the children. And that's where she gets her, that's where she makes her A, B, C, or D, or F. Mm -hmm. The father is charged with making a living and securing the home for the family. and. So as parents, <laughs> the father is still going in his role, but the mother is having to shift. Mm. And she sometimes is the one that is the least likely to jump on board to stop being the parent and fall into the role of okay. mother. And yeah. that's where a lot of tension can happen. I had four, Larry and I had four sons. In fact, he's fishing with those four sons right now 
and uh, and here I am. <laughs> but um, I do think it's a it's something for women to. And I think there back to what you said, Drew. Everything is either healed at the cross or forgiven at the cross. Mm-hmm. And that's where parents need to go. That's where kids need to go. That's where relationships repair. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Right. Any additional thoughts? I'll chime in real quick. Um, the one thing that, as being, when we were married and we had children real quickly, and then our children grew up, and then we had married children real quickly. And I've learned at every stage along the way how selfish I am. When I got married, all of a sudden I realized I'm more selfish than I thought I was. I had children. I realized I'm really, my selfishness runs a whole lot deeper. Having adult children, particularly married children, and keying on what Grace said, having married sons, I really realized my selfishness. Because all of a sudden I'm sharing my children, which I've never had to do before. Mm. And then you have grandchildren. And you all of a sudden you realize, oh my gosh, I can't take any more of seeing my own selfishness. So I think really for me, it's just a progression of repentance Mm -hmm. and really seeing my need to control. Mm -hmm. And I have no, I have no control. I mean, when you, how do you control a two year old and make them eat peas? You can't. And you really can't control your adult children, but we try. And for me, some good mother examples of what not to do from Scripture are Sarah, when she tried to control having, you know, this child for her husband, and Rebecca, who wanted to control things for her children. And it is, I mean, all the mother-in-law jokes, all of a sudden I really start to understand that selfishness that really creeps in and is trying to find their significance through their children in very unhealthy ways. Mm-hmm. And so I think my, you know, it is it is going back to the cross where yeah. I see um, what sin can do to me and I can see how God loves me, and that's where I have to run for that significance that I can try to find in the wrong places. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Got one more thing, and that is um, back to that quote uh, from uh, Richard Baxter that you know it's it's for us to maintain our relationship with God and grow in our relationship with God and also with one another and discipleship. You know, am I? Am I taking part of the um, partaking of the means of grace that God's given for me personally? And that does, that may be more of the um, influence than anything else. I mean, the best thing we can do wherever we are is to work on our own relationship with the Lord. Yeah, God no, doesn't stop dealing with us when our children turn 21 either, does He? <laughs> and Drew, I would, I would add to that, uh, you know, you can tell. The, the parents who do have really their hope in their kids and the success yeah. of their kids. And that's that's got them wrapped up. And I just kind of picture that classic, you know, father and son kind of thing. Like, you know, it's that your accomplishments and success and, and everything, uh, you know, all through adulthood is what they are just got there. They, they sort of find their, um, so they put their hope. It's where they just, uh, you know, find themselves. And then obviously we're going to let them down. And when you do that, and, and your parents 
hope isn't you know where it needs to be their faith isn't you know where where it needs to be and it's in their child man you feel this real like i have let somebody down i am you know i'm nothing you've sort of you've, it creates an even bigger gap and um and you know a lot of us can probably think of somebody who's who's that way when you see it it's 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 an obvious it's not obvious to uh to the parent at the time but it's really obvious you know to the third party looking in and mm-hmm. um, that can just be a lot more detrimental than than they're aware of yeah one of the things that helps me when i'm praying about issues about my children is to first pray binding prayers um on myself and uh those are you know you want to bind your your will to the will of the father your mind to the mind of christ and you're leading to the path of the holy spirit if you pray that for yourself and for your child it sort of it sets up a situation where you can receive from God. You can receive creative wisdom. You can create. You can receive maybe uh, messages to be silent and wait and see how it develops. But you will be directed. And um, Larry and I have found those have been very helpful. All right. Any questions or comments or thoughts from anybody in the audience out here? I know Mark has some. I'm repenting in my brain right now. So, second question we have up here: um, What do you do if they seem, if your children seem to have rejected the faith? How do you handle that? What's your reaction? You know, one thing I'll say, the original question we had was, um, you believe you've raised your son or daughter in the fear and admonition of the Lord. What do you do if they seem to have rejected the faith? And I think one of the big pitfalls is if you're raising them, you're doing this in order to get a result. This is really, you're, you're raising them in the fear and admonition of the Lord as in obedience to God. And then God is responsible for changing their heart. And we keep going back to what what could I have done? What should I have done? Is there something I can do now? When really, it's bet- that's between me and God, and God alone can change their heart. And, and it's always been it's always between been. God and yeah. your child. Um. Well, we have a child who has rejected the faith. It's not same. He he speaks the, of his rejection, and I had this really powerful insight. In a recent conversation with him because I became in a weird way grateful he's rejecting it he knows it and he's he, it's been given to him and he's rejecting it and that is so much more hopeful than I don't know what you're talking about mother uh, you know yeah. and and his yeah. passion in his rejection is another place of encouragement for me because it's passion he's not ambivalent He's not whatever. Um, he's he's got he's got a lot of emotion, and it's you know it's hard to hear and it's hard to live with. But it's it's not up to me, and I'm just grateful he's rejecting, and I'm grateful that he's passionate about it. Hmm. Searching. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Truth, yeah. We've got five more minutes. I'm, oh. I'm wondering if we should just put all the questions have- up there and let anyone answer any questions um, that you see up there that you'd like to. All right, so we've got the other uh, four questions that are up there. 
When should you give your input into life decisions? What should be your response if they seem to be suffering from consequences of poor decisions? What is the proper response to their material, marital, or career success? What What was the most significant challenge for you with your son or daughter when the when um, when aged when they aged from teenager to adult? So, um, panel, if there's any one of those that sort of stands out, like I'd really like to talk about that. All right, Victor. I'll touch on that, uh, the third question, when should you give your input into life decisions? Uh, really, just because the answer, uh, I feel like, is, is um, almost an absolute. Like, you should always, we're talking about after 21, I would say you should always be ready to have your input just, you know, in your pocket to share at the drop of a hat. Um, but you got to wait till they want it because. Um, if they want it and they come to you finally saying, okay, you know, dad, I really, I really could get a little bit of advice on this and you don't have something ready that, that sometimes that window can mm-hmm. kind of come in and the door's yeah. closed and now they're, they're going to be, we're going to be sort of, uh, blocked off again. And at the same time, if I'm not at that point yet where I want to know what you think about this decision I'm about to make, or I, I haven't gotten to that point where I really am open to hearing what my parents say about this life decision and you go ahead and offer it up to me it's going to kind of push me away well it may or may not push me away from your advice even if that was the the tendency that I was leaning towards already and so it's one of those things where we're not we're never going to stop wanting the um the input from our parents when when as we get older those life decisions just get bigger and bigger and the stakes get get higher um and so it's it's one of those Things I always am thankful that when I'm faced with with a big decision, whether it's um, you know something exciting or something a little more tragic, that I've got that freedom to go to my parents and get that advice. Because ten times out of ten, it's better than what I was about to do. Yeah. And they and they and, they, and sometimes they'll admit they've been wanting to tell me that for a while, just waiting for me <laughs> to really either ask them or for the right time. And yeah. so sometimes that means you gotta. I, and I've had to learn some you know, lessons the hard way. Sometimes yeah. they're expensive, sometimes they hurt. And, um, but you know, my parents wouldn't, couldn't have steered me otherwise. Um, you know, cause I hadn't asked, I wouldn't, I wasn't willing. Yeah. I was just say, I think, um, and follow up to what Victor was saying. I think that's the hardest thing is when you see them suffering from consequences. Um, and, and like Jane said, you're, my reaction has been, let me see how I can help you fix it. I want to be part of the solution instead of stepping back and saying, you know, what if this is the means God has to bring them back to himself and to change their heart? And also, if they have a faith that they're, um, that's deepened. So, you know, don't get in the way of those consequences. Like Craig Smalley's that image of leaning back in the chair when he says, "Lean your full weight on the promises of God." Oh yeah, and that, that was, was that's yeah. a good mental picture. Yeah. Um, as you know, really in terms of parents, God loves them more than we do. Yeah. And it's His story in their lives, and His that story's not over. Yeah. And I would say that is encouragement for where you are. Yeah. One other thing to say is. If you look, if you look at the um, the women that are in Jesus's genealogy, 
I've looked at each one of their lives, and if they were my daughters, there are multiple times within their lives that I would think, oh my gosh, everything is lost. And they were the means not only of the salvation of the world, but also of a picture of redemption. Um, and yeah. that's what gives us hope. Yeah. Um, well, I'd say we've got maybe one more minute left here. Um, Mark's got a question. Um, so all of you have multiple children. And, and so this is my question about success as it relates to the differences of your children as they age where some are achievers, they're affirmed by their the sort of culture and society. Others struggle, and there's already that sort of sibling dynamic. I see this with my kids already. How, how do you how do you navigate that with the way in which you communicate with your kids um, and the one who really sort of struggles or doesn't seem to live up to the potential of their siblings? Or I'm just curious how you how you walk into that. I have to say, <clears throat> I think that parents really struggle with how to deliver unconditional love because at the same time you're trying to show unconditional love you're also trying to encourage them to do their best which sends the opposite message that they are loved for their achievements Mm -hmm. so one thing Larry Whatley always did when ours were coming along and there was sibling rivalry he he would he would referee from afar but he always said make peace with your brother Go square it with your brother. Be kind to your brother. Because one day your mother and I will be gone. Mm-hmm. And you will be each other's connection. And they're really close. Mm-hmm. I mean, all five of them are away on a fishing trip. Yeah. Um, and there's a nine and a half year gap. And they all are in different professions. But they're close. They're a tight group. But the other thing as a parent is I think you have to find a way to shift gears between each child. Mm -hmm. Overall, you're fair and equitable and consistent. But you find a way to draw that one child at a time away and make sure that you have a good father-son or daughter connection. Because at the end of the day, we all want unconditional love and acceptance, and especially from those people that we most want accolades from. And that's our parents. Mm -hmm. And there are adults that stumble all the way through life because they never received unconditional love. And how will they ever understand unconditional love of a heavenly father if they're stumbling over that with an earthly father? Because the father is the one that points the way Mm -hmm. and creates that platform whereby they can just naturally grow up and assume their heavenly father is as loving as their earthly father. That's what I mean. That was a long answer, but that's good. But we did struggle. We everyone struggles. Everybody that's struggles. huge. Well, thank y'all for coming today. I think uh, we've sort of reached the end of our time limit. Uh, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen. Amen.